Amen. Well, I am so grateful to be here with you this morning. And when we were worshiping, what came into my mind was, you know, if you've ever been at a baseball game and one team's getting like beat really bad and everybody's like, it's rally time, you know? And you know, they all say, put on your rally caps. And so I felt like God was like, the church showed up with their rally caps on this morning. Like we were ready to worship. And I felt also like he was highlighting anyone who was actually wearing a cap. And so let me see, I can see you, you can't hide. And I felt like you can choose whether or not you'd like to turn it into a rally cap right now, prophetically. Or, and I wanted, to, I wanted you to know that I felt like the Lord specifically wanted to honor you guys. There was like a reason why you're here today. If you're wearing a cap, you are meant to be here, not just on, on this Sunday morning, but you belong in this place, and you maybe need to hear that today. And so, okay, well, I also felt like he wanted to tell us that he was, like, bursting forth. If you've ever seen somebody hide in, like, a whole present before, you know, and, like, they burst out of the present box, I felt like that was what the, what the Lord was saying. He was like, I am bursting, and maybe I'm just bursting because I prepared to share this message last Sunday, and then it got canceled, and then I froze for a week, and then now I'm ready to, unlike the flowers coming out of the the snow, like, come on, people. And so, and then I was sharing that this morning, and Jonathan said that his family verse this year is, uh, I can't, where is, is Romans? I have it, I'm just going to read it to you. Romans 12. Oh, yeah, there it is. Okay, and it says, let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in a time of trouble, but commune with God in all times. And I felt like that was our word today, that he was just saying, I am bursting forth, and we're going to all be bursting forth with joy, with our rally caps on, ready to defeat this enemy, because he is going down. He already went down. Okay, and so I felt like, like Tyler already summarized the series, and so today we're going to be talking about the church gathered. What happens when the church gathers together? And if I could summarize my talk today, it is that the church is gathered around Jesus, sent on a mission with hunger in our hearts. I think we might have it up there. The church is gathered around Jesus, sent on a mission with hunger in our hearts. And from the very first days of this church, that's who we've been and it's who we still are. We're, we're gathered around the person of Jesus. We're sent on a mission with hunger in our hearts. And when we are hungry for God, he moves. And so it says in Acts 2, this is like a description of what happened when the early church met. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. And that alone, you guys, I mean, you could just stop right there. They devoted themselves. It wasn't like they partook casually in these things. They were devoted, devoted to the teaching, to the word of God, to the fellowship with one another, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's just like, it's basically like a Cliff Notes version of the whole New Testament. You know, like this is what happens when the people of God gather and what we should expect. Now, these days, right now, when we gather together. 
And then, so there we are, we're gathered around Jesus. That's the kind of things that should and do happen when the church is gathered around Jesus and we're sent on a mission. And here, I just want to say, we in this room, we are not confused about our mission. We are clear and we're confident. There's no, there's no confusion. And I believe for every, every believer, every follower of Jesus, our, our mission is the Great Commission. God made it so clear. And so I'm just going to read it to you starting in verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And if you pop back up to 17, sorry, verse 17, it says, when they saw, the, when the disciples saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then, and then Jesus came to him and said, and so I just felt like the Lord highlighted that verse 17 and wanted us to be resolved to not doubt him, to not doubt that this, this is who he is and that this is the mission that he has invited us into. He is risen. He has overcome death and the grave and hell and sickness and every other thing and has risen from the grave. And by his blood, and as we profess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, that same power, the same spirit that raised him from the dead, it dwells within us as his believers. We have it. We have that power inside of us. And it isn't just a belief or a good feeling. It is the truth of our life. And so every environment, we are not thermostats. We don't gauge the temperature and reflect it. We are no, we are not thermometers. We, we don't gauge the temperature and reflect it. We're thermostats. We change the temperature. We bring change. The kingdom comes with us and it changes, you know? And so we don't have to be afraid to, to get into an environment that's scary because we bring God's presence with us. He has overcome it all. And that same spirit is within us and is within the church. And we don't want to doubt. We don't want to be the one who's doubting. We want to believe him, okay? So we're gathered around Jesus. We're sent on a mission and we have hunger in our hearts. And so Proverbs 27, 7 says, to one who is full, and in some um, translations, it says to one who is full in their soul, they loathe honey from the comb. So like even the sweetest thing, like what could possibly be sweeter than honey? I mean, it's so, hun it's so sweet. But if you've ever been like the end of Thanksgiving dinner and you're like so full and someone's like, here, do you want a piece of pie? You're like, oh, get away from me with, with the pie. You know, it's like I'm so full. I can't even think of eating something, even if it is like a really amazing thing to eat. And so it says for one who is full, and it says in some translations, in their soul, loathes honey from the comb. But to the hungry, even the bitter thing tastes sweet. And it reminds me, in every January, our family does like a 21-day fast, uh, Tyler and I and the kids, and we do like no sweets, no treats, no, we say nothing that comes out of a box, so we just like try to eat like all like food that grows out of the ground, and then we do no media of any kind every year for 21 days. And it can be a really long time, especially, well, especially for me and Tyler, but the kids too, you know, it's like a long time. And by the end of the three weeks, everybody has like fully tested their resilience, willpower, et cetera, et cetera. And it says in Isaiah 58, dude, it's, it's the passage that talks about true fasting. And it says all these different amazing things that true fasting will do in your life. But it, one of the, it says it'll set the oppressed free. And then it also says, do not hide yourself from your own 
flesh. Do not hide yourself from your own flesh. And that's one of the things that fasting does is when you take those comforts away from you, your flesh is just right there on display. You know, like, did anyone realize that this week? No power, no water, I can't do my dishes, I can't drive my car, I'm freezing. And then it's like, that put your flesh on display. You know, like, I could see, like, all of those things that might get hidden under the comforts of my life, they just came right out. And they came out of your husband, they came out of you, they came out of your kids. And then you're like, okay, there it is. Those are the things that are in me that have not been sanctified unto God. And so let's get to work. You know, let's start seeing those things in my life be crucified so that he can live, you know? And so at the end of our fast, we were, we were having a little worship time together as a family, and I was talking about this, and we asked the kids, okay, what do you want to walk away from? Because it says that true fasting opens the doors and lets the oppressed go free. So if those doors are open, what did you see in your flesh or in your life through this fast that you, like, want to walk away from, you know? And so we just asked our kids this, you know? And the two littles were just sort of like, said basically nothing real, you know? And then, but the three big, they all, three of them said the, like the thing that I have been praying for them to be set free from. But I didn't tell them. They could see it for themselves. And they were like, Mom, I could see this in me, and I don't like it. I don't want that in my life, you know? And I was like, amen. And so we prayed, and we're still working it through, but... Just a testimony to us all that when our flesh is exposed, it helps us look more like Jesus. And sometimes being hungry or going without things we normally have does that. It helps us see it. And it's, the Bible tells us not to hide from it, but to look at it so he can be taken live there in those spaces. Okay. All right. And so then I want to talk briefly about what it means to truly be centered and gathered together as a church around Jesus Christ. Okay. And so in 1 Corinthians, Tyler actually mentioned this back when he did the sermon about the church being like the building of God. Um, but Paul is talking to the church in Corinth and he's say, he says to them some very strong things. I think you should read it. I actually wanted to read the whole thing. I don't have time, so I'm just going to summarize. But 1 Corinthians 3, and he says, you, church of Corinth, are still worldly. And so he can't give you, he couldn't give them like solid food, like good, like advanced teaching or whatever that represents. He had to only give them milk because they were jealous and quarreling among themselves. And they're not, and then he says, so some of you are saying, I follow Paul. Some of you are saying, I follow Apollos. And he's saying, who, after all, who, what is Paul? What is Apollos? Only servants through whom you came to believe. So these were people who had taught the church of Corinth about the gospel. And he said, those are just, they're just people. He, he said, I planted a seed. Apollos might have watered it, but God makes it grow. And he says that the one who plants and the one who waters have a purpose and they'll be each rewarded and they're co-workers, but you are God's field, God's building. And then he goes on to talk about the foundation of the church. And he said that he laid, there's no other foundation that can be laid except for Jesus Christ. And that is the foundation of the church. And if anyone builds on that foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is at the end, and it will be tested with fire. Okay, so it's just like, it matters how we live, it matters how we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 16, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple, talking to the church, 
and that God's spirit dwells in your midst, like we were just saying, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. If anyone destroys God's temple, the church, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are God's temple. Very strong language, okay? But he's saying it's important. It is important. You are God's. You together are that temple is what it says. And then it says, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, they're all yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. And so this is just basically him saying, you cannot put your hope in a king. You cannot put your hope in a leader, and your foundation has to be Jesus Christ. And so if you came into the church because of any other reason, and some of them are great reasons, like I came to church because I loved the worship. I came to church because they were nice. I came to church because they responded really well to this or to that. And some of those things can be really good, and we want to be excellent. We, you and I, all together, want to be excellent as we welcome people into our homes for life group and as we teach one another the word of God and discipleship. But all of that will fade away. And at the first big crisis, it, it, people will get picked off one by one if our foundation isn't Jesus Christ alone. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so we can't be here for those reasons. Like, I mean, if they're good reasons, we can't. That's not the point. The point is him alone come whatever may. Because our, the people of this world, they're like grass. They'll be here today and gone tomorrow. But he remains. He remains. And so your hope cannot be in a king here on earth or some person here on earth. He is our king. Right. He has come. And especially right now, y'all, because honestly, like as a leader, there, if you just take any one, any one topic, like masks, okay, there are people in this room or people in our church who would, felt very offended and didn't want to come to our church because we we're asking people to wear them, okay? And then there are people that are very upset and want every single person to wear them and never take them off. And so we could make one stance. We could, anything we choose, people are upset. It doesn't matter. And all of them love Jesus. And all of them love the church and have humility and de desire good things. It's impossible. It is impossible. And so if your hope is in a leader making all of the right decisions, you will be utterly disappointed, and you probably already are. And, I, and I'm so sorry about that, but it is impossible. It's just impossible. It's an impossible situation. Should you do rolling blackouts or not? Or I don't know. And so, I mean, any leader, it doesn't matter what they're doing. It's just impossible to please every person. And so I admit that, and I admit that, Tyler, I, we have failed. And I don't know, I probably more ways than I realize, not communicated fast enough, communicated too fast. I don't even know. But we're trying our best. And I am sorry, blanket apology on behalf of me and Tyler and every other person that is the leader in this church, which is most of you, by the way. And like all of you life group leaders, everybody in the, everyone is a leader. But I'm just saying it's hard. It's hard to lead. And our hope has to 
to be in Jesus Christ alone. And we're together. We're in it together. Rally caps on. Okay. All right. And so, all right. I wanted to say that. Blanket apology. Here we go. And so, and then all along the way, our desire has been to love Jesus, to love one another, and love the lost. You've heard it, but that's it. And, um, yes. So we're going to, well, how many minutes? We're going to move on. Okay. And so I wanted, so when we talk about the church gathering, it is important to note that we can't all gather right now. And there are many people in our midst that haven't been able to come that are vital members of this church. And so there's a ton of people that can fall into that category, but I wanted to honor one family in particular. And so we have their picture. This is Dan and Linda Hale. Okay. And so I want to honor them. They are precious. I feel like I'm going to cry the whole time, but they're just like precious. Look at them. And they've been with our church since the very beginning. And circumstances in their life have meant that they haven't been able to be at church due to COVID, but they have not missed a beat. I mean, they have kept gathering. It hasn't looked like it had in the past, but they've gathered. They gathered as the church. They have fought for the church. They've fought for unity. They've loved one another. They've blessed each other in their little circles in our church and then the church at hand. They've blessed me and Tyler, and they haven't been able to come like normal, but they have not stopped being the church. And I know that that, rep, wherever you are, if you're listening and you're watching us, we just want to say, if you're not able to come, we value you. We need you. You're important to us. And we keep gathering, keep doing what is peaceful in your life and set of circumstances to do, um, to bring the kingdom of heaven in the church. And we love you. We miss you being here, but we, we um, honor where you are. So there's Dana Lynn Hill. Give them a round of applause. Okay. <clears throat> Okay, and so there we go. And then when the church gathers, though, I remember whenever Tyler and I were, were pregnant with Ethan, and I was like 35 weeks, we were in these birthing classes. And, you know, they're like, tell you, like, put your hand in this ice bucket of water to like feel the pain and then breathe through the pain of like trying to practice what it's going to be like to endure the pain of childbirth and then they were trying to like teach Tyler how to like coach me through the pain and they were they told us that we had homework to like practice doing this and so like I would tell her I'm not doing that you know I am not going to pretend you know and then it was like 35 weeks and I'm like huge and I'm like this kid how is he ever coming out of me you know and I was like I'm terrified babe like I need you to practice with me you know so I'm like laying on my bed and Tyler's like rubbing my arm and he's like just breathe babe just and he's like <laughs> he's like just imagine you're on the beach you know and I was like I and he was like I'm sorry I can't I cannot do this anymore you know and so the goal <laughs> he was like you're just you're, it's all you babe I'll, I'll be there on the day but like you got this you know and so I, I share that story because it's funny and also because when you look at something and have a vision for it and know it's going to happen, you really don't know what it's going to be like until you do it, until you go through it. And then you know, okay, I, I can do that. And that's how we were when we started the church. We were like, we want to be gathered around Jesus. We have this vision of the Great Commission and hunger for days. You know what I mean? Like we were so hungry, but we had no idea what it was really going to be like, you know? And 
But we had a promise, and the promise was Isaiah 61. And it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations." That has been our promise, and we've seen it happen. And the good news is, is that we're not 35 weeks pregnant wondering what it's going to be like to see the church gather. We've seen it. And so I am so excited that I have some stories to tell you and pictures to show you about what it's been like for our church to be gathered around the person of Jesus, sent on a mission with hunger in our hearts. And so I have some pictures we're going to go through. Okay, so here's Tyler and I in Uganda. So this is before we ever planted the church. Um, we were just went on a mission trip with our life group, kind of like uh, just gathered together as a life group and went on a mission trip. And uh, you can go to the next slide. Um, oh, wait, we can go back, go back. I don't know if I have any more pictures from that one story, but I, I want, or that one trip, but I want to tell you the story. So this day, we were at this orphanage, so that all those children are there. It was when the Lord's Resistance Army was going on, if you can remember that. Anyway, and these children were orphaned or sent there for safety. And... There was our team, we had two buses, okay, to, that brought us to that orphanage from our camp. And one of the buses broke down when we got there. And so we, um, there was half of our, we had to, it was time to go back. We had been there all day and there was amazing stories, baptized a few people that had given their lives to Jesus. It was just a powerful time. And our team was hot and tired. And, and you know, you can imagine just the, even just the emotional stress of being there and seeing the realities. And half of our team needed to go back, but it was going to be like three hours before the one bus, because one was broken down, took the whole team back to the camp and then came back to pick us up and take us back. And so we were standing there as a team, and it was like, okay, who, who's needs, who's, who wants to go back, you know, first? And half, we had to split. And everybody was sort of like, we all want to go back. We're exhausted, you know? And so, but the, we were like, okay, here, we're, we're going to stay and you guys go back. And so the team that went back first were blessed and we were so grateful for them to get some like relief. And the ones of us that stayed, we went into the hut that you can see behind us in the picture. And we just, we were like, kind of looked at each other, we're like, what are we going to do for the next three hours? And we were like, let's just share testimonies with them. And so we walked in, and we had a translator, and we just started uh, sharing testimony, testimony, testimony of Jesus' faithfulness, of his power. And honestly, to this day, I've never experienced the power of God in a group gathering more tangibly. I mean, people were radically touched by God's presence, like supernaturally healed of physical things that, I mean, it was just the signs and wonders of God that you dream and think of, it all just happened right in front of our face. And to this day, I've never experienced anything like it. And I felt like the Lord reminded me that day, and every time I look at that picture, that there's a reward for the hungry and those who are willing to stay 
and wait for his presence. And so that's a cool story. Okay. And then next one is Peru. Here we are. And then there's, we can go to the next picture. We had the privilege of sharing the gospel up in the high Andes mountains with the Quechua people, Quechua people. And they had never really seriously never heard of the name of Jesus. And so anytime we went to these places, people gathered, like they just came and they were hungry to hear. And you can go to the next passage or yeah, the slide. We gave them blankets, and there's just a picture of the landscape up in the mountains. You can go to the next one. And then here's another. Um, this is actually the village that we stayed in. And again, like, we just went around door to door and said, hey, we want to we uh, talk to people about Jesus. And, like, literally the whole village came. I mean, look how many people there are. And I remember at that day, we were like, who wants to receive the truth of Jesus? Like, who needs forgiveness for their sins and reconciliation with their father. And like, yo, I am not lying. Every hand, you know, it was crazy. I mean, that day. Anyway, so there's Peru. Moving on. And here's one of the first life groups at our church. This is how our church started right there in our living room, Beckley Court, 1114 Beckley Court. And so there we were studying the word of God. You can see Kaylin and Jenna sitting in front of the little armoire. I think they're holding Ethan. Okay, next slide. There we are, one year in. We survived the first year. And so this is sort of like when you have a one-year-old baby and the first birthday is actually not about the baby. It's all about just you, you know, because you're alive as a mom. And so this was us. We're alive. And here's who, this, who started the church. You can see little Jacob Evans there and Audrey and Ethan. Okay, next. There's, this is our first little office space. Um, we were, they were uh, going through and like writing the uh, blueprints or things to make it into an actual office. Okay, next one. Here was our first revive. Okay, so again, we're here March, whatever, and we were like, Tyler goes to our little like team gathering. You know, we're all exhausted and he's like, guys, we gotta do a mission trip. Here, revive, you know? And we all just start bawling. We're like, we can't. We can't do a mission trip. And he was like, no, we got to do it. And then Lori Evans always has the wise, always has the wise answer. And she was like, we're going to just do it here. And that made all the difference, just like we're going to do again now. So fun. And so here we are, went to Sam's, bought tons of food. And there we were, just getting ready for revive. Okay, next. There, oh, this is us renovating the building again. You can go to the next one. This is our first revive. Look at all those college students sitting there hungry for Jesus. You can go to the next one. And then all along, every time we've gathered, gathered around fellowship with one another, food, and just family, you know, what families do together. And then we have shared the gospel. And so there we are just out sharing the gospel at Revive. You can go to the next one. Here's worship at the Hilton. So gathering together, it never gets old. Okay, and then there's the... Um, just another picture of worship at the Hilton, precious, powerful times. Okay, this is the first life group multiplication party. Okay, it was 80s themed. Uh huh, and it was awesome. Okay, you can go to the next one. There we are. Yep. I mean, how cool. And there's Kaylin just for fun. Kaylin and Jenna. Yeah. Okay. All right, okay, and so then there was, this is Haiti, okay, so there was this earthquake in Haiti, and we were a young church, but we were like, we have to go, we have to respond, we want to be there, and so they, I mean, there were still basically only tent cities, everyone was still so afraid to go back into buildings after the earthquake had happened, because we, um, they, that's how so many people died, was because they were in buildings that weren't stable during the earthquake, and so... They were just living in these tents, and here's a picture here of us in this tent, and um, there's just more pictures of the trip. It was just the early days, and we went, and we didn't know what we were doing. We just 
loved people and um, shared, shared the love of Jesus. There's us worshiping in this tent. And then here, is the next one the video? Sorry, I think it is. Um, I want to pause before, okay, yeah, pause it real quick. So this video, well, go ahead and show the video and then I'll talk about it after. Well, no, I'm going to talk about it first. And so, um, so this, this time there was this girl here on the left in the yellow shirt that she was part of the church and, and that was already kind of established that we knew had contact with her. And same with this, this lady with the towel. It was raining really hard. And so she, they had, that's why she had, they all had towels and they're wet. And we had shared the gospel with one and then we said, gather everyone that you know and you now share the gospel with them. Okay, so this was that. We had shared the gospel with them. They received the truth of God in their hearts. They wanted, they were hungry. And so we said, now your turn. We're gathering, you gather anyone you know, and, to, and then we're going to let you share the gospel. So this was worship before the, the Haitian uh, lady started sharing the gospel. And again, it was like the, tent, it was like the, the hut thing in, in Uganda where it's an indescribable shaking of God's presence like it, it like literally felt like the whole place was shaking and the and the people would walk by and they'd walk by the tent and they would just fall over like they wouldn't even know we were worshiping and then we'd bring them in and minister to them it was God's presence was so powerful and so these, there, you can see at the end of the video, there are these two women that had come and just like, they, no one had said a word to them. They just walked by and fell and basically just started saying, what must I do to be saved? Started repenting of their sins. And that you'll see us, them praying for them and ministering to them. So you can play the video. And so that's just another powerful encounter of what happens when we gather as the church. Okay, you can go to the next one. Uh, this is just a picture of uh, uh, several of, or all of the senior leaders for the different Antioch U.S. church plants that we gathered actually in my parents' home. And just an example of what happens when we gather together to encourage one another. And in unity, there was just so much power in that gathering as we um, got together, honored one another. You can go to the next slide. And this is the same kind of environment for Tyler and different U.S. pastors in the Antioch movement um, as they, they get together every year to encourage one another and strengthen one another. And then here are five women that are, that are older in the Lord that have been a part of the Antioch movement for a long time. Actually, Vicki Smyer on the left actually went to be with Jesus this year. But they came to that gathering at my parents' house and they ministered to us out of their wisdom. And it was just such a gift to have them there. 
and then you can go to the next one. And then just another uh, example here of, of people that have gone before us, so that's um, Jimmy Seibert and Kevin Johnson, and they've just been with us, gathered with us, and encouraged the church all along the way. And then here there's um, the Hobbs helped disciple me when I was right out of college and early married, and there's Papa Joe, and just pictures of people that have gathered around us, gathered around the church, fought for us along the way. Here's one of the first revives. Anybody know what year it was? I couldn't figure it out, but it's okay. And so there we are. It's grown from the first one at the Hilton. You can go to the next one. And there's us praying for the sick. Keep going. I'm pretty sure she got here. There's Tyler just breaking bread, you know, in people's homes. He loves his pizza. Okay, and then here, so at, this is um, Emily sharing the gospel um, with the lady in Belgium, right? And um, this is when we did engage the crisis. So this was with the Syrian refugee crisis and how it was hitting Europe so hard. And we sent teams to go respond. So you can keep going. Um, there's the, the, the radical obedience of his believers. You can keep going through. Just to, to, this is them praying in the red light district uh, in that area. Just had a weekly prayer meeting, just believing for God to move as there was just so many people flooding in. Um, and I, I might be getting the pictures mixed up, but this is them praying for a red light district somewhere. Okay, and then here is um, just more gatherings in that season of Engage the Crisis where they were able to, um, they had, the people from our church had hunger in their hearts to go to the nations and say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'll be the hands and feet of Jesus. Just like you saw on that video at the beginning. And there are thousands of stories in every one of these pictures that I don't even know about of people where Isaiah 61 came to life, yes. you know, where these people laid their lives down to pray, to um, give of their time and of their money and their resources, people that funded them to go so that lives could be changed forever. And so these are just more pictures. And I wish that every person that was in these pictures could stand up and um, tell you the stories of them. I know this one is one of the largest uh, refugee centers in the world at that time where they were sharing the gospel with these people. Okay, here's Revive 2019, and here's people that made it happen, came together to lead. And this was the year you can go to the next one, that there was just this massive outpouring of God's spirit of revival through repentance. And people were just lying down this hallway over here, just repenting for, I think it was three or four hours, one after the other after the other. God moved in so much power. Okay, keep going. And then afterwards, here we are in Baton Rouge, and we just baptized, I think, 30, 40, 30 or 40 of the people that had been touched by God's presence. This is Mongolia. Mm -hmm. Okay, and they're getting into Mongolia. And so I don't have time to do these pictures justice, but um, our Unbound team went and uh, they ministered. And so this particular picture was at a brothel there. And um, pause it right there. So, so J uh, Jess and Amanda Binger were there and she told me this story, I have to tell it, but she said that this, that day with, that you saw before with the brothel, them all standing together, she said it's one of her favorite memories of all time because she's standing there with these women and children who people purchase, purchase them, you know, for sex. And Jess is there, and he's a white, attractive male. 
American, which is like their number one client tell. Like the, those are the men, he fit the profile to a T for the most common person to purchase sex from them. And he's there and he ministers to them and he, they go up to, to the room where all of them are gathered and just gave each one of them a cup of water and honored them and served them. And what, what Amanda said was that it is, indes, it is indescribable to explain what happened in the spirit to see a man that would normally abuse them serve them. And so just his, just his ability to stand there in that place and be willing to give a cup of cold water had the power to yeah. break generational strongholds off of their life and give them the hope to believe that Jesus Christ could be real and love them. Do you see what I'm saying? His, his willingness to go. And the story, he didn't, his passport was expired and he got all the way to Mongolia. It was such a miracle. And so, okay. And so next, next, next picture, we're going to go through the rest of these. So there's, there, there they are in that room together. So powerful. And these are more pictures of Mongolia. They have done amazing things. This is them gathered with all the law enforcement and they're making sure that they're ramping up law enforcement so that they can help stop the sex trafficking. But Mon uh, Mongolia Unbound is like really helping at a government level there. Um, so these are also the kinds of things that happen when we gather as the church. Okay, finally thing. So this is Mr. Bill Sweeney, okay? And Lauren Mulvey is on the right. There's Mr. Bill Sweeney. And then there's me in the middle, and or in the, on the left. And Mr. Bill Sweeney, so Lauren has been with us since the very beginning of the church, and that's her daddy. And he, um, his, he has, a, has a family of Mary, his wife, Lauren, his daughter, and Leah, his other daughter. And when he was 36 years old, he was diagnosed with ALS, okay? And he was in a wheelchair and unable to talk within one year. And they told him he only had like a few years to live. And within that first year, he lost, yeah, he lost his voice and he couldn't move almost at all. And he lived for 24 years. And he passed away just, um, just this last month. And he was 60 years old when he died. And so this is, this is me um, saying goodbye to him. This, I went, he was a friend of mine and a, a hero and a father, and I went to go hug him and tell him goodbye. And I want to read y'all some of his words as we, as we close. And um, one of the first questions in an interview he did years ago, it says, how has ALS changed your view of God? And he said, my view of God is so different today than it was 20 years ago before I was diagnosed. He is so much better than I ever thought or imagined him to be. I have not yet received the physical healing that I sought, but he has blessed me, blessed us with miracle after miracle. His grace has truly been sufficient for us. I still wish I could jump up out of this wheelchair and rip off this breathing mask and feeding tube, but if giving up everything I've learned about his goodness and grace over the past 24 years was the price of that healing, I wouldn't even consider it. Romans 8 says that our present sufferings are not to be compared with what is waiting for us in heaven. I think that only Christians who have suffered and sought God's comfort and peace and have been shown how true this is. I know without a shadow of a doubt that it is true and that that is unshakable hope. 
And then the second question was, what have you asked God to do, and how has he responded to you to those prayers? And he said, Mary and I and so many others have prayed for God to heal my body. Obviously, that healing has not manifested yet. But I refuse to give up those prayers because I know that God will never, God never changes. He is still the same God that performs miracles that we read about in the Bible and in church history and among believers today. And then the last one is, what have you asked God to do and how has he responded to those prayers? And he says, Mary and I, and so, oh wait, I already read that one. Yeah, okay, that's it. And so Mr. Bill never gave up, ever, not for one minute. And that day I saw him look into Lauren's eyes with the love of a father that was so profound. Um, and one of the, th the last things that he said when he knew he was about to go to heaven was, I'm excited, yeah. I'm excited. And he is the true definition of what we talked about earlier, where even the bitter things taste sweet. And he also had every excuse to give up on gathering, you know, had every excuse to just not commit to the church, but he never gave up. He, he served on the church's boards and was committed to his local church and would contribute with his emails and share his thoughts and that he was a missionary online and shared the gospel with people all around the world and the testimonies of his life and the way that he impacted and gathered people together even when he was literally unable to move or speak changed people's lives forever. And so when I look at Mr. Sweeney, I think what he would want me to tell you is what's your excuse? Because he didn't have one. He kept going and he kept loving the lost, loving the church and loving the Lord to the very last day of his life with 24 years of not being able to move. And so why don't you stand up? And I wanted to do something today as a symbol. And so sometimes when we do things with our bodies, it helps our hearts and our minds. If you ever notice, like when you finally sit down, you can relax. Or when you stand up, you get motivated. And so the Bible talks about how when you're hungry, even the bitter things taste sweet. And every picture that you saw of that church gathered, all of those stories, we were centered around the person of Jesus. We were sent on a mission and we had hunger in our hearts and we still do but i feel like part of that rally cap for us today is to taste of this honey and i feel like there's something that's powerful when we when we like i said do things with our bodies so if you feel led i want us to just in faith come and just take a little bit of this honey and say lord jesus i trust i commit to being hungry for your presence so that even the bitter things taste sweet Okay, and I also uh, feel like he wants to highlight that honey is healing. And so there's this last picture up here. My son Graham had a dream one night. He woke up the next morning and he goes, Mom, I had a dream about the number 100. And I was like, what is it? He was like, I think it was from God. And I was like, what was the dream? He was like, it was just about the number 100. I was like, okay. We're great, you know? And so we go on with the morning. And then a little bit later on that same morning, after he had told me about the dream, he goes, Mom, you're never going to believe this. The number 100 showed up on my plate. <laughs> and he was like, and it's made out of honey, I you know? It. You see the 100? And so you can think whatever you want, but to my... <laughs> 
little nine-year-old boy that touched his heart and God was speaking to him. And so we, we, we consulted with some, some friends, our friend Papa Joe and others, and just said, what do you think this means? Graham had this dream and Papa Joe sent Graham a little text message and he said, Graham, however in his little <laughs> Scottish voice, and he said, the Lord is speaking to you about sowing and reaping. And when you sow, you will reap a hundredfold and it will be sweet. And I feel like that's what the Lord is saying to us as a church, you guys, when we gather together around Jesus with hunger in our hearts, that even the bitter things will taste sweet. And when we sow on our mission, that we will reap 30, 60, a hundredfold and it will be sweet to our souls, okay? And so as we worship, if you feel led, you don't have to, but just, you know, take, just try to touch only your one spoon and dip it in the honey and, and believe God for uh, hunger in our church and hunger in our hearts and healing for us. All right, so Lord, I thank you. We trust you. We love you. We ask that you would move in power as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.